Hi, I'm Abby. And I'm Jess. And you're listening to Did the Reading, the podcast where we did the reading so you don't have to. What are we talking about this week, Jess? This week we are looking at Virginia Woolf's Mrs. Dalloway. Superb. Um, Jessica, this week you picked Mrs. Dalloway. Why did you pick Mrs. Dalloway? I picked it because it fits with the premise in that it was on our reading. Both of us had to do it at uni. Mm -hmm. And also, I quite like it. I think it's I've recommended it to a lot of people who've been like, I want to read some modernism or I want to read some Virginia Woolf. And I've been like, don't even worry. Step I have right the in. book for you. Yes. I do think it's more accessible than some of her other ones. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read The Waves. That I was quite waves. a moment. It's, I'd say it's that's dense. the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. I don't know. I think uh, because I read The Waves at like a kind of less rushed period I found it more accessible whereas Mrs Dalloway was you know one of those ones where you've got like a fast turnaround and I was like wow there is a lot going on here <laughs> but this time you know I did say I didn't want to do it again um, and I forced you you forced me but rereading it I did actually enjoy it a lot more than I because the first time I read it I was like hmm, hmm. hmm. enough of this I'm not really a fan of that yeah I think we could all tone it down and just say what we mean you know rather than being all over the fucking shop but instead Arguably the central premise. <laughs> Arguably modernism. But, you know, I thought it was much better this time. And I was like, do you know what? Maybe maybe Virginia's onto something. <laughs> In your humble opinion. <laughs> I've read it enough times that it's quite funny where I can go back and see where I've underlined things and been like, that was obviously my tutor told me I should underline yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Or like this was me thinking that was really insightful at kind of 19. Yeah, yeah. It's quite fun. Shall we move on to perhaps what could only be described as the most challenging question of the series? Jess, describe the plot. (laughs) Oh, Oh God. Okay, now I'm really sweating. Should we have a go? We? It's a you problem. So, the book opens (laughs) with (laughs) Clarissa Dalloway going to buy some flowers. And the whole novel covers a day in her life. She is hosting a party this evening. Mm -hmm. And... It covers, yes, basically hour by hour, very in depth. How many pages is yours? Mine's like a couple hundred. It's, it's about not 150 very long. or something like this. Yeah. Anyway, so it, the narrative essentially jumps from character's head to character's head. And throughout the course of the novel, we meet her, her husband Richard, her daughter Elizabeth, um, and then essentially a series of her friends from like her early 20s. Mm-hmm. So there's Peter Walsh, who has been in India working for like five years, and he comes back. I think he was in Burma. So he comes back. like, And notably, evening. he did propose to her back in the day. Okay, and she was I'm like, getting there. well, any time in the next 25 minutes. So he comes back from Burma yeah. the night before the day of the party. Mm. And he did indeed notably propose to Clarissa. She turned him down. This mm. was like 30 years ago by this point. Of course, yeah. yeah. There's also Hugh something or other. What's his surname? I don't think he's that relevant. Hugh whatever. Hugh, who is kind of like your quintessential like English posh man. Nobility, yeah. And then there is Septimus Warren Smith, who is the central character of kind of the second It's kind of like the counter-narrative, I guess. Yeah, and his wife, Lucretia, and he has served in World War One. The novel is set in 23. Yeah. And essentially is very shell-shocked, which is like a kind of slightly... Archaic term for PTSD. Yes. And also quite a 
simple way of putting it. I'm trying to think what other key. I would say the other like key element who is kind of not apparent until the very end of the party because the party is the like really summative moment. Like mm-hmm. through all the thing, not a lot happens during the day. Like she goes to get the flowers, she comes home, her husband's gone out to lunch and she helps somebody with a letter. She thinks about her meeting with Peter from the previous night. Her daughter goes out for a coffee with their neighbour. She comes back and she hosts the party and a lot of the people who we've already met come oh. into this final scene. And one of the only people who we don't sort of meet throughout the novel, but is only accessed through memory, is Sally Seaton. Yes. Who is um, this woman she knew in her, uh, you know, former life and who she thought was really amazing. And she was always sort of saying, I was, I was really in love with her. And we were all like, but in a friend way. And then she's like, no, we kissed. And I treasure that to this day. And it's like, Clarissa? I'm not sure if you ought to revisit that. Um. Anyway, Sally Seaton does come to the party. But I feel like we should sum up the Septimus episode because I feel like it's yes. quite important to know that as the other like counterpoint. So one of the guests at Clarissa's party is the doctor Bradshaw, William mm. Bradshaw, yeah, who is Septimus's doctor, mm-hmm. or he has he is seen by Doctor Holmes and then later also He's like tries a specialist, yeah, to see William Bradshaw. So that's where the two narratives kind of converge ever so slightly. So William Bradshaw is present at this party. And he gets the news mm-hmm. that Septimus has killed himself by jumping out of a high window. And the final... So Clarissa has left the party at this point just to go to another room. But she has this whole moment of really identifying with Septimus and like empathising with him and almost admiring him for like protecting his own soul or something like that. That's kind of the thrust of it. Mm-hmm. And then the novel closes with her going back into the party and Peter Walsh going, there she was. Yeah. Thank you. Fantastic. You stun me every day. Couldn't be bettered. Incredible description. Did Virginia know what was going on in the novel more than that? Almost definitely not. The first thing we wanted to talk about was time and memory, and I will give a little bit of context to our readers as to why we've picked this. Obviously, as a modernist novel, it sort of jumps all over the place and we spend a lot of time revisiting form and memories and sort of living in the past, and time becomes quite fluid, but there are also kind of, as you say, that hour-by-hour sense where things kind of crack through, like she talks about Big Ben at the beginning Mm. and watching for the party and saying, are you guys going to be at my party tonight? And there's always these kind of temporal markers, but also a sense of fluidity. And so I think this also buys into more widely how modernism functions and sort of memories of former genres, but also how kind of time is very fluid. Modernism is a new concept. It's an emerging genre. It in itself is not a kind of set point yet. Mm. So while that wasn't a question, I would like you to kind of respond to those kind of comments because that was something we talked about earlier and I think you know more about this than me. So I think this is your moment to shine. Let's start with modernism as a kind of genre. Sure. I think modernism as a genre is one of the first instances where that idea that time is not experienced consistently or exactly the same by everyone in every moment is actually really explored Mm -hmm. in a kind of more complex way than like time flies when you're having fun or like the idea of like the expansion of time with like a lover or something sure and memory in this novel is as you said very key and I think the way in which you understand the characters extremely deeply in quite a short space of time because of these glimpses into their past and the very kind of neat way in which these memories aren't just recalled randomly it's 
I saw that and it reminded me of this and that's yeah. why I'm reacting in this way to this situation, sure. I think is really clever and something that's obviously very true. Like, recognizable yeah. and like true to experience. Like even just like the descriptions of walking through London and like thinking of this or having like a mental conversation with someone, I just think are done really, mm. I really like it. It's mm. one of my like favorite bits of the novel. What did you have in mind? I think as well, memory is a really important point. And the kind of reason why I wanted to tie to that is that like, I almost think that it kind of helps to create this split in the novel whereby there's like the present, which is kind of something inexact and imprecise and not quite perfect. And we've kind of like, particularly in the aftermath of World War One there's this sense of before and after mm -hmm. and particularly that's like something that's so inherent in the modernism idea and I think that is you can kind of feel that splitting with the use of memory in the novel and that was kind of also something I'd wondered about yeah because also there's um I think in a lot of the sections where you have Septimus's narrative if we stick with the like World War One example there's this sense of I mean, like, you joked about it, but the whole, like, thing's unsaid or yes. whatever. So he's, like, to put it kind of, like, facetiously, just, like, sitting on all of this memory and all of these quite stark recollections of what he's been through. Yeah. But isn't actually marrying that with his, like, present reality sure. or, like, given a space in which that's possible. Mm. And I think that is quite subtly but also quite cleverly put across yeah. in, like, the way that his internal... I guess like it's not a monologue but his like internal like memories and thoughts are then put amongst his actual like interactions with the doctor or his wife yeah and I guess as well it kind of buys into like to bring the Septimus example against the Clarissa example kind of passivity versus activity mm -hmm. whereby it's like is memory something that drives you and informs who you become in the same way like in that final party scene where Clarissa and the others from her childhood are talking about like, oh my God, you know, Sally Seaton's become this person or so-and-so's become this person. And those things have become formative to informing that. Mm. Or is it somebody who inhibits you and becomes like an active force in kind of preventing you from going further forward or preventing you from becoming the person you can be as yeah. with Septimus? Because that's also especially stark when she has any kind of interaction with Peter because they've also been apart for five yes, years. Yes, exactly. And I think both of their the times that they speak together. So at the very beginning of the novel where he like surprises her, uh, it's kind of universally acknowledged that 11am is a very inhospitable hour to call on someone, but he pops yeah. in anyway. And he, boy. if you actually took out the dialogue, they barely say anything to each mm. other. It's just like, how are you? Or I think even at that point, she's like, oh, doesn't this remind you of like the windows at, what is it, Breton? Bre What's the Bolton? house called? Begins with a B. Certainly does. <laughs> so her, the yeah. countryside home of her kind of like late childhood mm. and every, even everything they say to each other or the way they assess the other's like reactions to something or the way they're angered by, like he gets really angry with the fact that she's like repairing her dress or something yeah. and it's all tied up with. It's like loaded by memory because otherwise mm. those things have no resonance. Exactly. Like without a, a like modernist slant to it I guess you kind of lose like what is the significance of any of it like it's like mm. it feels like really overwrought emotional response to something minor I guess yeah and I think that's the kind of power of it is I don't think any of it comes across overwrought because mm. you get all of that context. context which is I guess what's often so like difficult to communicate I think it's also... in your own life like I think like modern audiences and I mean modern was in 
contemporary, contemporary. to us mm-hmm. view it as quite unusual because I think even now we tend to get things whereby there's like a preferenced character even in third person yes. narratives so for example if you were like talking about me and you there would be a greater sense of what I was thinking and feeling and then how your reaction was described would be meted through how it appeared to me rather yes. than uh, From what you actually like were feeling so I think it's quite unusual to and particularly for us to get that sense of kind of the entire holistic portrait mm. and that being both kind of every perception in the room and all time kind of informing how we view that scenario one thing i wanted to ask you is i feel like virginia wolf as a writer is sometimes seen as quite a privileged very upper class slightly i don't know almost like sanitized Mm -hmm. writer Mm -hmm. in terms of she started or was at least a part of the Bloomsbury group sure in terms of all these ideas of elitism but I wanted to ask what you thought of the novel I guess the novel's capacity to be social commentary or to be thought of as a social novel rather than as we've discussed this modernist idea of very individual kind of head hopping perspective I think there's like 90 things to unpack there. I think first and foremost, coming from privilege doesn't mean that you can't write social commentary, but more to the point that almost to use your privilege to make a social commentary is a good use of it. And I think that also, you know, there are other things for her, as in Mm -hmm. with her mental health and arguably with her sexuality, people have talked about. And so kind of it depends what we view it as, if we view it purely as economic privilege versus yes. et cetera. Um, I guess in terms of what you're talking about, I think as well, the idea of the head hopping can also be a way by which it does become a social commentary because there's a sense, I think particularly in the wake of World War One, where you hadn't had that kind of scale of people uh, returning from war and people dealing with something which was so major and traumatic and that almost being a universal experience that on some level everyone had been through a certain like depth of trauma mm-hmm. um, that was quite a unique moment in terms of so many people having the mental health implications of that and so I think being able to observe that from the inside to have a portrait which if not the experience of every person who has returned from war gives a kind of sympathetic view to the challenges of how medical staff aren't doing enough, how people are struggling with it, you know, how disconnected these people feel, how isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly as well with like Lucrezia having come over and yeah. feeling like she's an isolated as a woman. I don't think you can view the whole thing as like a, you know, great piece of social criticism because I think a lot of it is Clarissa being like, ooh, flowers, you know, arguably. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, those aspects I do think have a strong social function and I think yeah. it can be a way of enabling understanding in a way that just describing the way he acted wouldn't. Yes, because also I think the, like you say, the the form of the novel in terms of going through all these, there's no one privileged perspective, mm. is very, I think it does, you're right, contribute to that social function because I think it's a sympathetic element of the novel. And like that's obviously but extended to every character, yes. but that's ex- that's then extended to every character. Do you know what I mean? It works yeah. like both ways. Yeah. And then simply in the way that the novel, I guess, demonstrates individual being shaped by environment, yeah. by trauma, by whatever. I think that's a reason... Again, the fact that it's done for every character is like a reasonably 
it could be read either way as social or the feeling is that with like the first like say we brought it back to memory the dominant like memory spheres i guess for the upper class characters in the book are like oh you know politics oh uh we had such a great time when we were 22 in the country yeah and i mean even like Clarissa explicitly says, you know, she doesn't care that her husband's going to go and work out about the Armenians or the Albanians or whoever it was who were being killed. And that's like something yeah. that she actually says. Whereas the entire frame of reference for Septimus is the war. Yeah. And the like the entire frame of reference for Lucretia is how she has no choices because of having to care for her husband who's been so decimated by this experience. Yes. And so I think that in a way does provide quite a stark comparison that even if we are getting that head hopping, which kind of puts them on the same plane, we're sort of seeing the tranquility and privilege even as well to have been detached from something as big as mm-hmm. World War One for that not to even be something which is a bit like, oh, you know, that that's happened. Like it doesn't even yeah. really come up for them. No, and I think that's actually quite easy to forget. I definitely know on a first reading you can, well, on like a second reading, you go back and you notice things like how anxious everyone gets when that plane flies over yeah. the advertising plane, and stuff the car like that. backfiring, and the car backfiring, things like that. Like those, but it is—it's subtle enough that you realise, as you say, the kind of like cushioning almost mm. that these upper class people have been able to—I don't know—experience. Yeah, th- throughout that. a level of emotional and mental separation and physical obviously because there's also a level of i think you could to some extent measure if we're trying to answer the question of whether the novel is a social commentary or not what like the kind of thrust of whether it's calling for any kind of change sure and i would say arguably no but then also in terms of i think the main issue of issue of the book is the central premise is that this war has completely decimated or like overturned most of London society although Mm. definitely in differing measures and I think Mm. that's more that's easy as we've seen for people to detach themselves from and really and not think about any kind of individual or I guess like community driven link to that I know what you mean I think it's like a difficult question I don't think the only way to do social writing is to do it by like explicitly having a call to arms because I Mm. think there is also something about like the shockingness of it like the shockingness of those explicit expressions of like how someone feels and like the memories of stuff oh yeah being ways of enacting social change and I think as well there's a feeling where it could force people to re-examine how cushy they feel their existence is maybe on a certain level yeah but I do see what you're saying like I feel like you read something like I don't know a room of one zone one zone I was like couldn't remember if I was thinking of the (laughs) air room with with a view (laughs) but like something like that is obviously explicitly like this is what you need to do yeah no and I think that also very quickly falls into the thing I hate of like it's almost like it has to be like non-fiction to be useful or to like drive people yes. to do something, which I'm well, sure it we kind both of falls into you know when you're doing like Mary Wollstonecraft's kind of like she's like I wrote Vindication of the Rights of Women. It's a novel, but like it's not a novel, and you're like I get it, but like yeah, because I think there can still be so much like value, and it's like the the only way to like make a point is not like journalism effectively or yes. like polemicism. Jessica, I'd like to ask you about masculinity. Um, Is that it? Fucking full stop. Um, I think that this is a very interesting book because we don't get 
a lot of images of traditional manhood, which, or if we do in a way, or like people who have succeeded, we are like seeing faults in those Mm. images of masculinity. So I think that's quite like an interesting question. What do you think the novel is trying to say about masculinity? What do you think its image of men looks like? Is that a reflection of like a time or a reflection of her experiences? Or are all the characters given the same level of sympathy, regardless of their gender presentation? I actually would have loved, in hindsight, to do like a masculinity-based essay on this book. So I think yeah. the male characters in this book are fascinating. fascinating. And uh, maybe us just like, as a culture, absolutely starved of like in-depth, flawed male characters. But, yeah. you know, take from that what you will. Mm-hmm. I think the obvious kind of case study is Septimus, but I also think Richard Dalway is that a fascinating... Fascinating. When he like comes home, and it's like he's obviously such a successful person, but then he kind of exists in like four different spheres where some people are like looking down at him so much because they're like oh he's like such a simple man like he's (laughs) like he's always with horses but also so he's kind of bridging this gap between intelligentsia Mm. being viewed by some people as very in inverted commas like farm boyish and then also this complete emotional absence which he can't fill the gap of because his relationship with Clarissa is is just Mad. mad yeah like they're both of them in their own kind of interiorities are like, I love being married to this person because they kind of leave me alone quite a lot. Yeah. And that's the whole, that's like, I think also acknowledged by like Peter and a lot of people around them. That's yeah. like acknowledged as the foundation for like the success of their marriage, essentially. Yeah. That they understand what they want from the marriage and they each provide it to one another. Yeah. And it's, it's a quite a level of remove. Yeah. And quite a level of like, um, I guess independence is like a better way to put that. Yeah. But I think he's, fascinating because also again peter is like i know that he'd be much happier in his like house in the country Mm. it's one of the it's that kind of slightly classic everyone around them can see perhaps what would make them happy or understands them perhaps more than they register to themselves and like do you know what i mean like he's kind of constantly talking about that and it's like this gap between him using his power over really young women and him having no power in a kind of traditional masculine sense in terms of like intelligence or like career there's not a sphere in which like you're saying Richard has all these different spheres of not quite fulfilling all of them Mm. to the fullest extent but existing in all of them and I think Peter just kind of floats Weirdly. Or doesn't really exist, in and that's any of like them. extra reflected in the fact that he's like between Burma and London and the country. Yes, because and... I think on a kind of fundamental level, you've got this almost like gulf or like vacuum post World mm. War One, mm. where, like you say, this the idea of an ideal man or like masculinity conceptually mm-hmm. is in flux. I guess you could argue, yes. and it's definitely or has definitely been made more complicated yeah and then i guess in that gap you have these three men who are all doing very different things i think that's the thing as well like you kind of see even like hugh or something at this lunch and they're all being like oh he's but like you know like they are all being haters to him because they're like he seems very nothing-ish yeah because there's also that bit where it's um what's that there's that line in Gatsby about Tom Buchanan where essentially they say he peaked in high school, but in yeah. a really beautiful way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Same kind of... Yeah. There's a line about Hugh where it's something like, 
Sally says something on the lines of like all he is is English breeding or like something like that yeah. and it's the idea that he is this kind of perfect English gentleman and he's revolting as a result of it and I think that's the thing and even if we think about like doctors who are kind of quite often quite mm-hmm. extolled he, they're both shown to be a bit like completely ineffective like didactic and paternalistic um, to the point of being disrespectful and lacking understanding of what their patients are in actually... quite like a fruitless way yeah, yeah exactly to the um, point where, like, Dr. Holmes is actually suggested to be the impetus for Septimus taking his life. Which doctor is it that calls him a coward as he does so? I swear, Dr. one of, I think it is. Mm. We haven't talked about Septimus yet, which I think is important. Key. Yeah, please. Um, so, in terms of masculinity, I think the most, the kind of central tenet of Septimus's character is that he has this crisis about the fact that he can't feel. Mm-hmm. So he, whenever he thinks back to, is it Evans? Yeah. Evans's death, so his kind of, kind of comrade, friend, I guess. comrade in the army. He just has essentially this crisis about the fact that he doesn't feel anything. Mm. And there's one point where Lucretia like cries in front of him or is and like he sobbing feels a level and of he feels nothing. React. What's important is it? it's his like awareness of that and his relationship to that mm. and the kind of gap there mm. that is what really kind of drives him to ultimately suicide Mm -hmm. so when you think of i guess in slightly like base modern terms of like complicating what masculinity looks like is that people always talk about the whole like boys don't cry Mm -hmm. concept and Mm -hmm. i think this is i think this is like a very interesting i guess that also is the like medical thing isn't it whereby when dr holmes comes in he's always being like hey when i feel that way i just play cricket yeah exactly and it's this Again, where the kind of ideal solution is supposed to be external rather than internal. There's no sense mm. of you can deal with this in yourself. It's that any kind of dealing with it will be something unspoken and like physically acted. Yes. Or even when um the second doctor suggests mm. that he that Septimus comes to one of his like homes Retreats. in the yeah. country. The whole passage where he's talking about how much benefit it will do him is ended with him being like oh and that's the kind of place where a man will go in seven stone and come out 12 yeah so it's this like you just need to put on weight you need to play some football yeah yeah but that's again that's not me being facetious that's a quote it's like football and cricket are mentioned a lot and i think the thing is as well that's interesting about like the home idea i guess it's like it's again about like being surrounded with men as a way to restore masculinity Mm. Um, by osmosis do you know what i mean like it's no, like you're I in the, you're, you. like they're in the war and it's like boys time and then it's like they go to this home and it's like super boys time almost as though like by being with women that is sapping their ability to be masculine i think that's true i wanted to ask you about so we've got clarissa and we've mm. got septimus mm-hmm. Both of them are the kind of key parts of those two strands in the narrative. And both of them, at various points, there is hints, explicit or otherwise, as we've already mentioned, of kind of repressed homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And this was certainly not something we talked about when I studied it. don't know about you. Mm -hmm. But I think it is more present than I remembered. Yeah. And so, take the floor. Right, well, I will. Um, I think it's, just to kind of make explicit the two sort of concepts we're talking about it's like the sally seaton kiss obviously in her repeatedly saying that she's in love with sally seaton which seems arguably quite obvious arguably you know she is making that point you know 
Um, and at the same time, the fact that Septimus, when he takes to his bed, is kind of constantly calling out to Evan, so he sort of sees a parent in the walls and the mm. wallpaper, or seems to hear his name through the wall, and also kind of constantly ties back his death to his idea of what feeling should be. Mm. I think it's super interesting, because I think that, on the one hand, this book is so... We're almost seeing every exposed part of somebody's like mind. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, there's nothing hidden from us. On the other hand, stuff like that, it's kind of quite interesting how you deal with this level of repression whereby those things can't even be spoken. And obviously that's something to do with publishing context, obviously. But on mm-hmm. the s- same level, it's like for the fact that, you know, Sally Seaton arrives at the party and she's like, yeah, she looks a bit different. But it's like her kissing Sally was one of the major events of her life. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, Septimus and Evans, like that was one of the biggest moments, you know, that was more so than Lucretia the love of his life effectively mm-hmm. and so i think it's kind of interesting to delve into that like repressiveness a little bit like yeah. what what are they hiding from us and what's the effect of feeling like we're not able to access those yeah because i think on a kind of functional level if a character isn't admitting something to themselves then mm. the fact that we can kind of sit inside their head mm. means shit all yeah. because if it's not surfacing even on that level let alone yeah. like coming out of their mouth in conversation then obviously we're not going to be privy to it mm. so I actually think purely from like a kind of I guess from like a slightly boring technical perspective I think this aspect of the novel is really interesting mm-hmm. in terms of yeah like what we're allowed to see because mm. I think we already have like an extremely privileged position and I think a lot of the emotion of the novel is that we know more than the person that is being spoken to for example yes or we understand more of the context of someone's relationship than perhaps either of them really understand. Yeah, of course. I think it's also just like, I think what's really emotional about it in a way is like the Sally Seaton thing is something that's discussed and gone in less than a paragraph. Like we've talked about it a bit, but like, to be fair, she talks more about her relationship with Rich and more about her relationship with Peter than yes. this. And yet, you know, if we think about Richard, even, who is this person who she's chosen to spend the last 30 years with, the relationship, as you say, is one of they're really pleased to be in each other's company and what they have is convenient and it suits them. Mm. But we never hear in the same way, like, her speaking of, wow, I thought he was so attractive when I first met him. Well, there's that whole bit where he comes back with flowers and he's like, I'm going to tell her I love her and then can't do it. Yeah. And they're both just sort of slightly dryly taking each other's hands. Like, it's just. I find that whole scene really emotional emotional actually i find yeah. it really difficult because it's i guess if we're going back to like this whole concept of masculinity he, he almost he can't understand why he can't say it because he really wants to yeah and i think he does feel that way about her but there's this kind of and it's this sense as well that she knows what he's trying to do yes i think that's the key and i think the thing is in a way that kind of takes it back because like this the real like oh the moment where he comes down he takes the cushion and things down and he's like you should rest you know it's after lunch or whatever and you can tell that what he's trying to say is I love you yeah but it's oh just so sad so sad just say how you feel but like I feel like she doesn't even in her own head say like I loved him so much or Mm. when I met him I thought he was gorgeous or she sort of says oh he's such a simple kind man oh he's so thoughtful yeah she's like mwah like when she's talking about Sally, she's like, she was amazing. Imagine that's all these the escapades. She was so gorgeous. Everyone loved her. Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's not... 
Because I think while she doesn't discuss her relationship with Sally as much as she does like these various men, including her husband, yeah. I think that's also because she doesn't necessarily define it as such. I think she does talk about her a lot and she the memories of that time in her life, so like her early twenties and like the mm-hmm. these like summers in this country house, they are all they all do pivot on Sally quite mm. significantly. And I think the fact that that's where she met Richard ETC is only really covered through Peter's perspective where exactly. he's like, I saw him and I knew that she was going to marry him mm. immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think, whereas for Clarissa, those memories are all of Sally and of, like you say, how exciting and amazing she is and how she like commanded a room and made yeah. them all go like rowing on the lake at midnight and all of that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, so I want to bring up my favourite question, which is the concepts of comparisons. And I was wondering whether you had any comparisons you'd like to make Jessica Curry. Right. I think there's a few kind of, I guess, thematic or like character Mm -hmm. approaches. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of... I think in terms of post-war masculinity, you did an interesting essay at one point. Mm. on like the go-between and Lady Chatterley's lover yeah. and I think possibly looking at texts like either side of that obviously like cultural mm-hmm. gulf would yeah, be really well, interesting yeah it's what's it called um the D.H. Lawrence one with the wrestling scene oh Jesus is that Sons and Lovers I think it is yeah because again that would be a nice comparative yes and I also think the kind of idea of a narrative of like various people basically like navigating like an urban space in a few different ways I did like some interesting reading around like Jean Reese in that way and again that's like post a different no it's not it's more like pre-second world war than it is post first world war yeah but it's still like interesting context I think that would be quite interesting but you probably have some more fun modern (laughs) well I guess you could tie the kind of I mean like it reminds me of Saturday by Ian McEwan you read it I've not. Which I also didn't like. You know, shout out to Ian. Read it a second time and see. No, I I won't. Basically, (laughs) that kind of follows the events of a surgeon during, like, one day, a Saturday. and I love that kind of narrative, though. I know you didn't like it. I didn't like it. Anyway, it's... um, What was it called? Real Life Does That. It's like the events of a weekend. Yeah. I quite liked that element of the book. Like, that, like, construction. Yeah, the... Yeah, she's talking about Real Life by Brandon Taylor. Thank you. Um, she? She. <laughs> and then I guess in the same way you could talk about something like 24. You know that series which does it like hour oh, by hour. Yeah. God, I forgot about that. And then the other thing I talked about, I thought about when you were talking earlier about her like walking through London and remembering things, it's like that kind of, we talked about it once in a tutorial, like the 17th century concept of like the flunder. And like, I guess... We talked about that because do you remember I did that module on like London... And yes, space yeah and the idea of like who can even like be a flaneur so there was that whole who's thing. flannering who is flannering um yeah. who has the capacity to, to flanner flan- i've now sidetracked myself so when we were talking about you know romance of a shot the amy levy one which Ish. i thought would be really interesting but it's actually fully like 30 40 years older than mrs dalloway so i was not actually sure if there would be masses of mm. things you could link it to but there is like four girls who set up a photography shop but they mm. kind of have all these issues where they can't really go out by themselves others think people will like you know think they're yeah. a prostitute and just that difficulty of actually just like existing in an urban space yeah is that's interesting quite interesting and like you can't go anywhere at night for example mm-hmm. i guess you could do something on like 
women in urban spaces and do something like The Roaring Girl by Middleton. I guess. God, you love Middleton. It's disgusting. Oh, sorry. I also think it would be obviously not exactly groundbreaking, but I think a lot of uh, Wolves like other novels do. I love that. I love to compare one book to another book by the same author. <laughs> I think it would be interesting. If you had Night and Day. No. It's not as fun, I won't lie, and it's mm. significantly longer, but again, deals with that kind of, there's a lot of that dynamic of people having a conversation where you know that they're saying about 8% of what they want to say, and you know what's going on in, e- in each person's kind of head, which you I know, love. Okay, two, for that, first and foremost, obviously it's not groundbreaking, but the love song of J. Alfred Proof Rock has to go in here somewhere. Oh yeah. We all know it, but like that immediately brings to mind next week's book you know ready yourselves midnight sun by stephanie mayer um because all those conversations are like i was reading this one and it's like from you know bits from edward's perspective and you spend so long during the book being like why is he chuckling so wryly all the time you know like what's that about why is he like (laughs) it's like for what and it turns out he's got plenty of reasons to chuckle wryly all over the place and suddenly that is excellent writing (laughs) That is why she's a master craftsman. (laughs) And you can look forward to that next week. Yeah, I can't wait. Thank you for joining me, Abigail. Thank you for joining me, Jessica. I'm glad I convinced you to reread this book because I really like it. Yeah, I enjoyed it also. Perhaps you would like to tell our listeners where they can find us on things. You can follow us on Instagram at didthereadingpod. You can follow us on Twitter at the same handle. You can also email us, didthereadingpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Next week's book, in fact, was a listener request. So you see, you can enact real change. Real change. Real change. It's right here.